Around 11.30 on July 12th of 2018, I received a phone call that shook me to my core. I was told that my mother had passed away. This was just one piece of a long string of events that had happened a couple weeks prior that really changed the entire dynamic of my family. It was hard, it was emotional, it was gut-wrenching. But through it, it taught me so much about God, my family, and myself. This week, we're talking about what it's like a year out from loss, the life lessons, how it's changed things for the good and bad, and what we can learn from tragedy. This is super emotional, but well worth it. We are for the spiritual nomads, the outcasts, and the ones who desire to ask the hard questions. A shelter in the desert, a safe place to share our thoughts, our hopes, and our dreams. We are pursuing the truth, and we don't care about the consequences. We invite you to come and sit at our table and be a part of our tribe. We are brave. We are bold. We are the Reckless Pursuit. Hey everyone, welcome to The Reckless Pursuit. My name is Cody. And my name is Elaine. And this is episode 72. So this episode is going to be a little bit different than a lot of our episodes. Uh, It's completely unscripted. We have not talked about what we're talking about. We have a couple of questions that we're going to try to answer, and that's literally it. We have wrote out nothing for it at all. And the reason for that is because this is a follow-up episode to an episode we had back in July of last year. And this is a follow-up episode to my mom passing away. So we were going to be talking about just kind of what a family goes through, uh, what your faith goes through, what what happens after losing an, in, an integral part of your family. And uh, we're, we're going to get into that in just a second, but I just wanted to give a quick uh, plug here for our group nomads was previously known the reckless community we have changed that over to nomads a safe community for christians who ask unsafe questions and we would love to have you a part the group has actually been going through a huge growth spurt right now and uh, there's some really good conversation going over uh, and nomads and we would love to have you a part to keep this conversation going so if you go down there and click that link and ask to be a part we would love to have you And so I'm just going to cut out a lot of the other stuff, and let's just get right into talking about this. And we don't even have a title yet. We don't have anything like that. We're just going to share our heart on losing um, a family member and a year out. So let's get right to it. So on July 13th, technically, but really it was like the 12th, right around midnight, honestly, of the 12th, 13th, we got a phone call last year. And we got a call saying that my mom had passed away. It was not expected. Uh, it was completely off guard. We were, what were we doing? Do you remember now? I'm trying to think back what, what we had going on. I think we were in bed. Yeah, we had just gone to bed. It was after a game, Yeah, a baseball game. And we so, had gone to bed early because we were really tired from the night before. Right, so we had worked and we got a phone call Um actually got a, a few phone calls. Yeah, because I, I think I was in the shower and you were just like reading a book or something when yeah. you got the phone calls. And finally one of them came through because my phone was on Do Not Disturb and it was the police saying, hey, you know, 
her mom, like, you need to come out here. And then I got another phone call, uh, like, literally while we were in the driveway leaving that said she had passed away. And I remember my world was just spinning. Like, I literally felt, and I was trying to drive, and, like, I felt dizzy and nauseous and, like, completely overwhelmed. I had no idea what was going on. I couldn't believe it. I was in this like false sense of reality, right? Like you're you're separated from yourself. Almost like an out of body experience. Like you just have no idea what what to do, what to say. I, we live like 30 minutes out, so I knew my dad was going to beat me there. I knew he was going to be a wreck. Um, and I just remember like all these thoughts flowing through my head. I can't believe this has happened. I can't believe this has happened. We had had so much family drama that whole week as is, and there was just so. It was just such a mess, but this came out of such left field in a place where we were already emotionally wore down. This was like the thing that it's just like, what do you do at this point? What what what, what was going through your mind, Elaine? I was mostly worried for you. Um, you know, all the sadness and all of that didn't really kick in until afterwards when everybody left. But that initial moment that we had those phone calls, we were in the driveway more specifically and you were just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I can't believe this is happening. Like you kept repeating, like, my mom's gone. My mom's gone. And I was just really worried about you. And um, I remember, like, you were driving and we had to pull over because we were calling a couple people and you said, like, you felt nauseous and everything. And, like, I thought we were going to get in a car wreck, honestly, because just of how distraught you were in just the situation so I was like hey like let me take over you call who you need to call because this like you said it was around midnight I told you like I'm taking over do what you need to do call what you need to who you need to call and just be okay like just be in the passenger seat like I don't want you worrying about having to get there and so I remember speeding on the way to your mom's house and like I, I just didn't care if I got pulled over for a speeding ticket like I think I went 80 miles an hour that 20-30 minutes that it took to get there and I was just like dumbfounded that like we weren't expecting anything and especially with all of the family drama that week it was just like really like this can't be happening like are you serious like did this really just happen within the whole week that we just had yeah yeah it was definitely overwhelming uh, to say the least, I remember riding in the passenger seat, and I believe, and I, I'm sorry, like, I'm trying my best to recall these events because it was such a blur, but I believe I called my dad's friend. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. And I was asking, he lived close by, and I was like, please, please, can you come up there? And I think he was actually already yeah, there. He was. Uh, I believe he, my dad called him uh, after talking to me. Okay, backtrack. The first phone call I got was my father calling me saying, something's wrong, something's wrong, come. That's literally just in a dead panic. The second phone call I got was was from my neighbor, and then I ended up, she handed the phone off to the police officer, which told me my mom had passed. And then I also remember one of those calls, um, whenever you had called your cousins, that literally just left our yeah. house the night before and had just made themselves back to where they lived out of state. And then we called them, they immediately turned around and came back. Yeah, they were heading back to to uh, Denver, or not Denver, to uh, well, anyways to Colorado Springs, Denver metropolitan area, and uh, they were already almost there, or they had just got they, there. They were in bed. Yeah, like, they, they had just, just got home yeah. like the hour before. Yeah, and they literally loaded the car right back up and turned around and came right back. And 
all this to say, I know this sounds hectic. Like I said, it's completely unscripted. We're just sharing our heart. I think point number one would be when tragedy strikes, the brain behaves in different ways. Like the, the onslaught of emotions that happen and thoughts, they're so far outside of what you can imagine. Like you think of loss and you think of grief and sorrow or acceptance. You think of these five stages of grief or seven or nine or however many there is now. I think it's seven or nine right now is what we've decided on as a society. But the truth is there is no progression. It all just happens all at once. And there's no specific cycle of like, well, today I'm angry, tomorrow I'm sad. Like, it's all at once and repeatedly in some people that grieving process takes a week and they've grieved. Some people, it takes 10 years to grieve, to fully have an arrange of emotions. And like Cody was saying, all at once that happens. It, you know, whenever we got those phone calls and we're on the way, we weren't just sad. We weren't just angry. We weren't just shocked. We were just like, Everything, we could, nothing yeah, at once. We couldn't even put our emotions into words of how we felt. And I remember getting there and parking up the hill and just grabbing your hand and then running towards the house together. Yeah. That's like what I just envisioned whenever we got there. You know, I, I saw the um, ambulance ambulance yeah. lights and I was just like, hey. And I, I we grabbed each other's hands and then just ran to the scene. And see, I don't even remember that, honestly. I remember vaguely seeing my dad and his friend and that's what I remember I I don't I'm I'm sorry I just I don't remember grabbing your hand I don't remember the drive there I remember from the point of pulling over to let you take the wheel which was like a block or two from our house a country block which is actually like a mile but it was like just right down the road whenever we swapped off because I was probably swerving erratically Mm -hmm. I'd imagine I was speeding and driving like a lunatic but uh when you, from the moment you took over to the point of me talking to my father, I don't remember anything. Yeah, I remember, you know, we ran up the hill or down the hill and got to the scene and we both just immediately hugged your dad. Yeah, and I just remember his words to me of, this can't be happening, this can't be happening. And he was like trembling to the point of like, I was nervous he was gonna have a heart attack. And it was just this, intense tremble and this like travailing tremble and he was just saying this can't be happening over and over and over again in my ear and i remember your dad's friend also came and hugged all of us too and like there just wasn't nobody really said anything yeah and by the time we got there uh my my mother was already loaded into the ambulance uh they had already stopped working on her because like i said the police actually whenever i had my neighbor um had called me because she was actually, of course, we're all older and moved out now, but she was visiting her parents that day. And uh, that's when she had called me and was like, hey, like, you need to get down here. Something's wrong. And literally the police were standing next to her and they asked for the phone and told me she had passed away over the phone, which they had told me because they didn't want us to get in a hurry and get in a wreck or anything on the way there. They're like, take your time, breathe, let your wife drive. Like, he told me that on the phone. He's like, I don't like telling people on the phone, but you need to know, like, because it's, there's nothing you can do. Yeah. So just come up here for your dad and be there. But uh, I remember just um, the look on my dad's friend's face and my dad just trembling and walking back and forth. And he would talk to the neighbor and talk to me and talk to you and talk to his friend in a circle because his brain was going 
all through these so many emotions and you know just airing some family laundry like if you listen to this show anytime you know my mom was a terrible alcoholic and she had heart problems as is and her drinking sure didn't help it and uh she <laughs> you know I, my dad is an amazing man who tried really really hard to do everything he could and uh it's just that was one of those that was her vice and she wasn't able to put it down and i know he carried so much guilt because anytime you're dealing with someone out of an addiction the thing you ask yourself and i can say this firsthand because later when i finally got to grieve uh you know it's what i wanted what what could i have done what more could i have done i want to do more i i failed them and it's hard because we take on that baggage because that's what addiction does is it removes the baggage from the the addict themselves and puts it on someone else it's always someone else's fault and so i remember the ambulance but there wasn't any going to the hospital there was nothing like that um we just loaded up in the car i don't know i think we actually hung out at your parents house for an hour and a half just oh, sitting yeah. there that was hard and you had to make a couple more phone calls with other family involved if i remember right i was actually kind of upset i was kind of angry yeah you were angry because of the people that were in like involved involved that caused in, a lot yeah. of family drama that and i was yeah also mad because I found a bunch of liquor in yeah. my, in the house. In every room, yeah. Every room there were empty bottles of liquor stored mm. and hidden. Yeah. Which it just so happens when you grew up with an alcoholic, you know where they hide things. And so I literally just walked through. Like I know, I'm going to try to be real vulnerable here, guys. Uh, I went through and I knew right where to look at under the bed. I knew where to look at on top of the headboard. I knew where to look at behind certain doors behind um in certain cabinets like i literally had a pile of them laying there yeah we found what eight 32 ounce can beers of malt liquor yeah. yeah i remember just being mad i was mad at the situation i was mad that my mom uh had done this she got to the point where she wasn't wanting to eat she was retaining water she wouldn't go to the doctor uh she, she was misusing her medicine that she was on yes she was misusing her prescription i was mad she even had that medicine because we had tried to warn her doctors before but she was going to see a quack doctor out in the middle of like you know the worst part of town who literally is known as a pill popper doctor like he, people go there just to get their fix um like there's just there was so so much that was going on in that and so many emotions I, I remember at that point i was angry but we took care of what we needed to take care of and we loaded up at, was my dad with us no he, he rolled with his friend right mm -hmm. and we went back i think i want to say either he went to your dad's, your dad went to his friend's house or his friend stayed with your dad. I don't remember exactly which one, but I just they were together that night. We went back to, uh, to our place of work and we, um, sat in the parking lot yeah. and just talked yeah. until like three or 4 AM and we just circles. I mean, and you can, I, I emphasize this and I know like this conversation in of itself sounds like circles, but we were just talking circles. It was just this round of round and round of events because well, and just staring at each other in silence as well. Like because, we weren't always yeah. saying stuff. It was just like just trying to express our emotions to each other. Yeah. And it was just it was brutal because you're in shock at that point. You you have all these emotions are hitting you all at once. And just like how the body um, shuts down when it's in extreme moments of pain, you literally your brain literally cuts off. At, there's a threshold. Your body will cut off pain. The same thing happens mentally. You, you will cut off at some point. You're just going to stop. Like enough is enough. And you feel all these things, but they're muted, right? Like 
you don't know what to feel anymore is kind of the best way I know to describe it because your body has stopped the ability of feeling for a minute. And it's to keep you, uh, I can only assume to keep you from going into shock or to having a heart attack or something yeah. like that. Like your body's, it's self-preservation. Well, really. and psychologically, your brain is trying to protect itself because it knows that it's overloaded and it can't physically process what it's going through in those initial moments because you could honestly die. Yes, because of just overwhelming, not only just, you know, heartbreak, but just everything all at once. Your body mentally shuts down because it physically cannot handle all of that at once. Yeah. I remember at some point, my dad's friends told, uh, my dad's friend told myself and Elaine, y'all need to go home and you need to rest. And I remember about this time, really, it was about the time I started getting angry. Something in my brain shifted and I did not grieve. I did not think about anything but taking care of what was on the the plate, on, you know, on my plate, what I had to take care of. And so the process began. Uh, we started talking with the funeral directors and uh, life insurance, and that's a whole other thing. And I'll just share that here too, uh, just trying to be transparent. Like I said, my mom was a very sick individual. She was very bogged down with this, and she actually, um, she had life insurance, but they dropped her because of her behaviors from the past and we did not know this and so what happened was they basically mailed her a letter saying they had rejected her life insurance because of her reckless behavior and uh i say reckless in the worst sense <laughs> you can kind of get an idea from what i'm talking about just by understanding her her uh, past but her reckless behavior they had dropped her life insurance and they had issued her a refund check well, we did not know these things. They did not call us. They did not tell anyone other than just mailing a letter. And she had actually taken the letter, shredded it, threw it out, took the check, cashed it, and bought liquor with it. And this was just a few months prior, not even, probably just a month or two prior to, to all of this happening. And so we found out she did not actually have life insurance. So we were scrambling to get together the thousands of dollars it takes to have a funeral. Um... That was a whole other thing. And, of course, at this point, my father feels victimized, right? Like, as most people would, of, like, everything is, is stacked against us. Even finances at this point is is stacked against us. And it's not even, like, we thought we had done the right thing. We thought we were covered, but we weren't uh, because she had not take, told anyone, of course, because she's scared. She's nervous. Like, she had done things that had eliminated her ability to have that that buffer zone for her family and let's just be honest addiction is very selfish you know it's a selfish selfish thing and so all of that to say like we went through the whole process i had family there who my cousins are just fantastic people friends and family yes yeah. friends yeah i had friends driving in from out of state Bringing i had family food yeah we had so much food so much food and there was a couple select people my cousins from Colorado who who were coming down, um, they were, uh, I, I couldn't have done it without their help, honestly, because I had so much on my plate. As an only child, it's really hard whenever you're dealing with anything with your parents because you're all they have. And uh, it's it's very stressful. I know the a lot of times when people think of only child, they think of like, oh, they get what they want when they're young, blah, 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 blah. Well, that comes full circle. Sooner or later, you, you're no longer on the receiving and you're on the giving end, right? And uh, I 
I'm all my parents had and my cousin stepped in really as a second son in that situation and was just like I mean he was there his his wife was there they were just present uh, their son brought joy into the situation like because uh, he's he's young and fun and he just has like the the most adorable laugh ever mm-hmm. he's comic relief yes and he's just he's such a sweetheart and and they were just present and they I mean brought I mean they brought life into that and the reason I'm I'm even mentioning that is I guess like the second point is surround yourself with people who care. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't close off people trying to help because the world's not as bad as our minds want to make it out to be in that moment. And there are people who genuinely want to help, even if they're people who you may not be the closest to. There are people willing to try to help you. And it's not a lone ranger. Dealing with tragedy is not a lone ranger thing. It is something that it takes a village to raise a child. Well, it takes a village to live. You, we have to depend on people. Community is vital. And in those moments, it shows how vital it is. It shows you who your true friends are. When we had people coming out of the woodwork that either you didn't even know, but who knew your mom and your family or a family that you hadn't seen no or joke. friends and all this stuff, people... Yeah come out of the woodwork when there's trauma and loss and tragedy because people genuinely want to help you. We make bad decisions. We mess up. We say stupid things. We hurt people, whether intentionally or unintentionally. But when it comes down to it, coming together in the face of loss and in the face of tragedy, that's what community is all about. And people want to be there even if they can't physically offer anything. People want to help you and play a part, even if it's just them telling you that and that's all they tell you that that's helpful just hearing that hearing that you're loved and that your family and friends are loved and love you and want to be there to help you whether it's cooking a meal whether it's saying I'm sorry whether it's not saying anything at all like it takes those different people and their different offerings to help you yeah and I guess like kind of like a an add-on to that maybe like uh point two point three or something like you know point two and a half is um, I know firsthand how annoying it is and how annoying it gets to have people asking you, are you okay? How can I help? And I'm sorry for your loss. Like those are three things you hear all the time. And even after a year, we still hear those we things. heard it yesterday. Yeah. Yesterday, I had someone coming after me. The day before yesterday, literally the past two days in a row, I have had someone come apologizing for my loss. Mm. And you get kind of numb to that because it becomes this this wound point, really. It's almost like, oh, I don't, like, you're trying to, I mean, both of these were our job, too, and so I'm trying to work, and someone's like, hey, I heard your mother passed away. I'm sorry. Hey, I heard uh, your mother and your grandfather passed away. I'm sorry. Like, you, you hear this a lot, and you have to realize these people are saying this. They're taking time to say this, and it's hard because loss is something we all deal with, but what can you say? And I, I can accompany this uh, or kind of encompasses the best. Uh, we have a friend and she was cooking us meals, like so many meals. And uh, and I'm not griping, like they were good meals. And like we ate for a month on the food that she cooked alone. And uh, she was there like at our job site, making sure we were able to to focus. Literally the next day, when after my mom passed away, we went to work. Mm-hmm. We had work for like three days after that. Yeah, like we were right in the middle of a homestand. We work at a baseball field. If you haven't, you know, listened back, if you don't know that much about us yet, you know, we work at a uh, a baseball field. We run a concessionaire business and we had to work. 
and we had talked about asking off. We had, or not asking off, where we set our own job, but we had talked about like bringing people not in to fill in. Up, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, my father works there too. Like my father has worked there his whole life. And I'm like, well, I'm going to be wherever he's at. He doesn't have a choice. Like he's yeah. got to come to work. And I don't want to just be sitting at the house. Like you wanted to be around people. We wanted to be around our friends and family. And at that point, work was the best place to do that. Even if we weren't physically doing work, just being there, watching the game, enjoying each other's company, or even whenever we sat in the kitchen on buckets and ate lasagna yeah. with friends, like that was one of the more memorable moments. And no, it wasn't quote fun. We, nobody wanted to be there, sure. you know, but people wanted to be there. It was fun to just be able to just sit and talk in the kitchen and catch up and just, and friends you hadn't seen in a few months even coming mm -hmm. down just for you and just for that. And, you know, just eating and in the filthy kitchen on like pickle buckets and, and not even having seating and just like, how many people can we cramp into a kitchen just to say, I love you and I'm sorry for your loss and just to be with you. Yeah. And you know, just there's people all around that want to do that. And some stand out more than others, of course, but everyone wants to try to help. But there's no there's nothing you can say. And and just kind of going back to what I was saying is like this friend that did all the cooking for the, that was just there constantly um, just helping us and offering love and offering her service. She said something to me and it still sticks with me to this day when it comes to loss and grief. And she's like, I know you've heard this a thousand times, but what can I do to help? And she said, and Cody, I don't want you to just brush me aside because when you're dealing with loss, everyone's asking, what can I do? What can I do? And you don't have the ability to even think through that. And I understand. So here's some things I can do. But realize when I say it, I'm not just being passive. I mean it. Like, don't try to do all this alone. And that was groundbreaking to me. Because I realized in that moment, wait, it pulled me out of my my mind that's got a million thoughts and was kind of like the fly on the wall in the room realizing, wait, these people have emotions too. And they genuinely care about what we're going through. Mm -hmm. And that was just, that was life giving to me in that moment. Even down to just taking Doppler out to the bathroom when we were on at home. Yeah. Like just little things like that. They... They showed up, took our dog out, and then left. But that was, like, enough for us. That's sure, what yeah. we needed in those moments. We didn't necessarily need them to stick around. We just need them to take care of something that we couldn't take care of in the moment. Yeah. And so, fast forward, of course, um, I spoke at my mother's funeral. Um, I gave the eulogy and all that. She had a packed funeral. Tons of people there. So many people. I don't even... My mom never met a stranger, so... It blew both of our minds because we didn't even know most of Like, there was a yeah. lot of these people. We had no idea who they were. Uh, but she just had a packed funeral. Um, I somehow gave the eulogy. And I, I just, I couldn't live with myself honestly. if I didn't. Uh, like, it was one of those things where people are like, you don't need to do this. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. This is how I grieve. Like, I I'm a speaker. This, yeah. Like, I, I, all I know is speaking and being in front of people. Like, that's my life since I was a teenager. I've got to do this. And this is how I grieve. And I remember... Giving that and feeling some, finally, a little bit of peace in the moment. And that's kind of, you know, after that, all the family and friends start tapering off. And sooner or later, you're left with just you again. And that's kind of fast forwarding here is kind of point number three, maybe, is there comes a point when you're going to have to face your emotions. 
you have to deal with it. You have to get in it. It's kind of like you have to till up the ground and get all the weeds out and figure out what's truly going on and process through stuff. Because if you don't, then it's going to take over you like weeds. It grows and grows and chokes the life out of you like a vine does to a tree. And I, the reason I can say this firsthand is because that's what happened to my mom. My, my mom's mother passed away whenever I was three. Uh, she died at the age of 55. And my mother became resentful toward her mother for dying. She felt like she left her and she suppressed her emotions through her drinking, which led to my mother passing away at 53. And I had a choice. I could either face it and rise above it or... I could have let it destroy me and ended up in the same position that my mom ended up and putting my kids through the same hell that I went through. And it's you can call it a generational curse, whatever you want to call it. But at some point, I had to make the decision and say, enough is enough. This has no authority over my family anymore. And so I'm telling this to you. Yes, tragedy is terrible. I do not want to think about going through tragedy. I do not want to ever imagine, uh, even for a moment, I don't want to even have to put myself in my father's shoes, which I know I've had to do, but I don't want to imagine having a spouse who is an, an addict or losing a spouse at such a young age or anything like that. Like, this is my mom. Yes, it, I was young when I lost her, but you expect to lose your parents. Like, there's so many other situations that you can start imagining and you can get obsessed with that and it can drive you down as someone who has struggled with anxiety, the fear of death, the fear of loss. The idea of hurting can become a driving factor in how you live your life and you can't allow that to happen. And now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying anxiety is something like, oh, you just got to pray about it and get over it. We have episodes on that. You, That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, you give authority to the thoughts you have. And the more you think about something, the more authority you give it. You know, you can say say it this way, that uh, a, the devil's only as big as you allow him to be. Well, the devil being your thoughts, right? Uh, they're only allowed to grow as big. Those negative thoughts can only get as big as you allow them to grow. And I'm saying this firsthand, I've done this. But I had to realize, like, I cannot let this control me. And... You have to face it. I remember sitting in this office that we're filming in right now, albeit it looked completely different. But I was sitting uh, right over there across from us where the couch used to sit. I had all the lights off, and I literally think I had like just a sound generator on my phone playing just some like calm, almost like rain sounds, I think, with some like droning music, which that's, I love that kind of stuff. So, you know, don't judge me. But I had that kind of playing, and I think there was actually a thunderstorm going on outside, and it was night. And I was sitting there and I literally remember all of a sudden something went and it clicked and I just started crying. And this was like a month after all that. And I think something finally, it was like I had carried the weight of all of that for so long because I had to. Like I had to be the one. To, there was no way my dad could do it. Like it's not his place to do it. Some would argue it wasn't my place, but I felt in my spirit it was. I'm not saying you have to do that. When you lose someone that close to you, I'm saying I felt in my spirit through my prayer, through my time with God, God was like, Cody, I want you to do this because this is going to be healing for you. And maybe that's another kind of point three and a half is listen to God. Listen to God when you're in these moments because he's going to reveal things. Even when it hurts like hell, 
praise him to throw a Hillsong reference out there. You know, like there is beauty in loss and that's not something any of us want to ever think about, but there is, there is lessons of life to be learned because life is the most valuable thing we have. It's, it's the biggest gift we could ever be given. And all that to say, I remember just sitting there and it was like somebody opened the box, the box of things that I had had to pack up for the moment to deal with what was at hand. Someone cut the tape and opened it up and I was allowed to just kind of start pulling them out and sorting through them. What was that like for you, Ely? Like the initial moment of those weeks or time after that? The time after, how did you start start the, the grieving process, I guess, for you? Well, for me, I grieved more in the process. It was kind of flipped for me because, you know, she was my mother-in-law, but she wasn't my mom and she wasn't my mother-in-law for long. It had only been a couple of years since we had been married that she was in my life. And so ever since our first date, you know, I've seen literally firsthand what all of addiction and trauma and all that stuff looks like. And especially in those latter years, they were worse, you know, sure. whenever I became, whenever I got into the picture. So I was able to go through that with you, sure. but I went through that with you differently. And in the moment, almost as an outsider who had seen things firsthand, most of my grieving was within those couple of days. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you were saying that for you, that wasn't until a month later. You know, you you had your grieving you know, the couple of days within, but then like with the funeral and all that stuff, like you you had strength that you only comes from God. Yeah, absolutely. To help you it's through, give, you know, that eulogy and, and be there for your family and do those things for your dad and everything. But I'm over here on the back end seeing everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I'm a very emotional feeling type person. And especially as a four on the Enneagram, you know, I kind of take emotion threefold. Like it's, sure. it's, I, I feel things more deeply. And whenever the next day, literally the next day, whenever you went to record the episode of what happened for the podcast, you know, I, if you hadn't listened to that, I highly advise you go listen to it. It's just Cody. And it's just all of the raw emotion, literally the day after all of that happened. Yeah, we'll link to it in the show notes. But while you were recording, I could hear a couple of things, but I, I wasn't like listening in. And I just had a bunch of guilt in those moments of I should have been a better daughter-in-law. I should have invited your mom to go shopping. I should have done thing these things. I shouldn't have been angry. I shouldn't have told you to push away, you know, earlier of things that happened yeah. that year whenever we had to distance ourselves from yeah. your mom. And I just, I feel like a bad person, honestly. And while you were recording the podcast, I was texting um, some of the friends that we had mentioned and was just like, I feel like a crappy person. I feel like there's things that I should have done. But the thing that everyone kept saying was there was nothing you could have done. Yeah. You did the right thing. You, it's, she, she knew that you loved her, you know? Yeah. It's never enough. And maybe that's another point. Point four is don't let the I should haves keep you from doing the I wills, especially dealing with a tragedy of this type of, of magnitude where you have, um, multiple family dramas involved. You have an addict involved, all this kind of stuff. It's, it's, the, the the gut reaction you have is I should have done this if I would have done that. You know, the last conversation I had with my mom on the phone was her finding out stuff about our family 
um, and just some of their their baggage. And she was crying to me on the phone saying, I had no idea. I had no idea. Like, this is terrible. This is disgusting to me. I had no idea. I had no idea. And she was crying because she did not know. And then that's the day she drank herself to death. And then a similar conversation with your dad before that conversation. Yeah. I mean, like, literally, uh, that's the last memory I have of her. And that's hard. And for me... We had a bunch of family in town before all of this happened, just happenstance, just be hanging out and stuff. And so all the girls or some of the girls had made a plan to go get their nails done. Mm -hmm. And a bunch of drama happened right before that, um, that we kind of found out throughout that week. It just kept escalating and escalating. And so the day of, half the girls kind of dropped out of getting their nails. And it was me and and your cousin, and I think that was it, who actually went and got their nails done. Mm -hmm. And... I remember seeing your mom and seeing your family, the family that was causing the drama, walk in in the nail salon and sit there and ask, like, your mom came up and asked me, she was like, oh, what color are you getting? You know, just acting like nothing was wrong. But at that time, she didn't know everything everything that we knew. And so she was just blindly like, hey, like, how are you doing? Like, what color are you getting? Like, just, you know, your mom was such a friendly person. And... I just remember trying to ignore your mom, honestly. Yeah. I was just angry at everything that happened. I was hurt. I was hurt for you with all of the family drama. And I was like, oh, yeah, well, I'm just going to get this purple. And then that was it. Like, I, I told her what color I was getting, but I kind of just shut her down. And then she kind of walked away. I don't know if she realized if I if I was being cold to her or not. I don't know because there was other people involved. But I remember being with your cousin and we were just like so bitter about like, why did she try to come and act like everything's normal when everything's not and all this stuff? And then two days later, she passes away. And, like, we didn't see her. Yeah. And I remember a couple of days before that even, she was over and we were angry about something she did that day. And she was asking questions of, you know, we don't have kids, but we have a dog who she loved. And she asked, you know, like, why, why don't you let me come see the dog anymore? And just all this stuff. Yeah. Because I had just got off of a what, two-month hiatus of not even speaking to her. Yeah. Because of just when she had the wreck and, like, she could have hit us and, like, mm-hmm. she ended up in the ditch and all that crap yeah. that went with that. And so, like, my mind just kept thinking of all of these things of, like, being bitter with her and then not seeing her and then that happened and then never seeing her again. Yeah. But one of, and this is going to sound very weird, but one of the... um things that helped me mourn and grieve was for the funeral whenever or the viewing the day before was whenever um they asked me to do her eyeliner and that sounds so morbid morbid and creepy and weird and you know both me both myself and your mom are crazy about eyeliner we have different styles of eyeliner. But she tried to copy I know, She always tried to copy my cat <laughs> eyeliner. And so that was like a big deal. That was something that was like a big connection between us was yeah. just our eyeliner. And so they did her makeup, but they left out the eyeliner. And we were like, well, if we're going to show her body, this doesn't look like your mom. This yeah. doesn't look like her. People are going to think, oh, she's not wearing her eyeliner. Like that's very unnormal. And... They asked, everyone kind of looked at me whenever we were, you know, examining the body and all that stuff for before the viewing. And everyone kind of looked at me. And I remember your dad walked out of the room 
and it was just me, you, and the funeral coordinator. And both of you had said, you don't have to do this. Mm-hmm. But it would mean a lot if you can. And so I said, yeah, I can do it. But I don't, I, I can't have anybody in here if I do this. And I'm not a mortician. I'm not trained. I don't do this. I'm not blind to it anymore. This isn't something that I just normally do. But there's something that's very almost humbling about being able to do our eyeliner. And like this is very morbid and hard to talk about. But doing her eyeliner, doing makeup on anybody's dead body, but my mother-in-law and knowing what killed her and just all of that stuff. That was kind of my grieving process in that. And if I was going to do her eyeliner, if I was going to make her look like herself, look normal, then I was going to do a a good job at doing her eyeliner. I was going to make it look really good. And while I did it, I didn't cry. Like, when you had the strength, when, when Cody had the strength of doing the eulogy, that was the strength that I had doing her makeup. Yeah. I didn't cry. I wasn't upset. I was brave. I was bold, you know, doing that. And going to the viewing later that afternoon, when all of these family and friends and acquaintances and even strangers coming together... And viewing her body, I felt proud that I was able. I was proud of you. I was very proud of you. Because I couldn't hardly even look. And my grieving took place in my nightmares. Because I grieve when I sleep. And I had nightmares even up until recently. I uh, dealt with nightmares thinking about, about my mother and the trauma. And some of them are not even nightmares some of them are good some of them are way too graphic to even share on this show and it's not intimate enough i need to see someone's face to be able to tell them that but all that to say is point number i think we're on five whatever it is allow yourself to grieve allow yourself to express and give yourself that time because if you don't you'll spend the rest of your life running from it I'm not saying go do anything stupid. I'm saying give yourself the time. However it is if you, you grieve, if you have to give a speech about it, if you have to do makeup, if you have to sit in your room and quietly meditate and cry, talk with people, if you have to laugh about it, if you have to, whatever you have to do to grieve, allow yourself to do it because if you don't pluck the weeds they will take root, and that is not beneficial because as hard as loss is, we know that life is the most precious gift and it is to be celebrated. And now fast forward a year later, what does it look like? We still have conversations like this. We st- I still, every now and then, it's, it's less and less, but I still wake up in a cold sweat some nights remembering how my mother looked laying there. You know, how she looked at the funeral. I still have nightmares of her telling me, Cody, I'm already dead. Cody, I'm dead. Or walking the the streets as a ghost. I have those kinds of dreams, those nightmares. We still have conversations just like this of the regrets. And we just have to say, you know what? 
we did instead of talk about the regrets let's talk about the time that we finally got to spend mother's day with her just a few months before a month before we finally got to spend or two months before we finally got to spend mother's day with her after her standing us up for three years in a row (laughs) we finally got to take her out and had a great dinner and for uh the com- getting to shoot fireworks with her and her being around and getting to play with Doppler the Christmas. last time. Christmas was a huge one. We finally had a normal Christmas. She got to spend. That was our first Christmas. Christmas was my family's biggest holiday. It was always their favorite holiday, the one that we did the biggest celebrations. And it got really, really hairy whenever I got older. And some of the saddest times of my life I can think back were actually some Christmas mornings where there was just trauma in my family, but this was such an important holiday. And we were actually able to have my mom and my dad over and open presents and be normal. Despite all the drama, things were normal for that day. And it was beautiful. And you have to take those good and realize our tendency, our nature, our our sin nature is to say, hey, here's what we could have done. Here's the bad. Here's what I did wrong. But get rid of all that and realize the good and realize everyone's in charge of their own decisions. Everyone has their own relationship with God. Everyone has their own journey of living, and you cannot change what someone else does. All you can do is try to better the environment you're in and try to spread the love of Christ wherever you are. And one of my favorite things that has happened since a year ago of her passing was this last Christmas that we had. Oh, it was so beautiful. When all of her family. Her family, yeah. Her family was over. The cousins we were talking about were over. Mm-hmm. Uh, my little, what we call him, my nephew. But mm-hmm. because these cousins aren't cousins, they're, they're, my, they're my brother. And, they're my brother and sister. Yeah. You know, but so my nephew was just running around and he got this train set and he was... Uh, playing with all these all different about things. The trains. <laughs> he loves trains. All the trains. And, and he was running around. It was just the <laughs> biggest, most joyful thing because it was new life. And I remember this is going to sound so strange, but every Christmas for as long as I can remember in my adult life, my dad and I have ended Christmas crying. We would literally sit outside wherever we were, however we were spending it, after dinner, whatever it was, and we would just hold each other and cry because of the dysfunction in our family and how we longed for things to be normal. And for the first time, there weren't any tears. And I don't get it because my mom wasn't there, but it was like she was there spiritually. It was like that she was there in her truest sense and we knew she wasn't suffering any longer for the torment that she went through on earth. And we were there with her family, which was life-giving because normally we spent it with my father's family on Christmas. And so it was completely different. It was in our house. It was peaceful. It was joyous. And it was just the most beautiful thing. (laughs) And it was the first Christmas where there were no tears. And what I mean by that is maybe this is the final point of with each death, new life begins. No matter whatever we go through, it may change but there is still life, and that's to be celebrated. When a seed falls to the earth, it looks dead, but it springs forth unfathomable life. And I don't want to think about losing anyone. I don't want to think about losing ever my wife or my father, my grandmother, or any of these things. That's not something any of sane person wants to sit around and think about. And I can say sadly, as someone who has dealt with anxiety, I've spent too much time thinking about that anyway. And the reason I even say that is, 
don't spend your time wallowing in what could be, but enjoy every moment. And there's this adage that is, uh, live or plan as if you'll live forever, live as if you'll die tomorrow. And that's life. That is God. That is, in essence, exactly what we are to do. Because if we don't plan, if we don't strive, we have no purpose. But if we don't act out on those things, we don't give our purpose life. And life is the ultimate gift from the Creator to us, and it's the ultimate gift we can give. We're in your corner. We're here for you. We all have a story. As our old intro used to say, we all have a story and a struggle, a calling and a conviction. So we're here for you. We're in your corner. And we want to hear from you. We're going to skip all the, uh, the outro stuff and just tell you, you need us. Come find us. Be brave. Be bold. And be reckless. We'll, we'll talk, talk soon. soon.